Bibles, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 17. Now, are there any football fans here in the house? Anybody like to watch football? I would say probably most of us <laughs> like to watch it rather than play it, okay? There's just something about 300 pounds of mass and muscle coming at me with the sole purpose in life to take me down to the ground that uh, I, I would rather just stay on the couch and watch it and cheer them on. Amen? <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I didn't hear any amens there, but <laughs> I don't see you out there today. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point was, is that I, I was just thinking back on um, the fact that a lot of times, you know, you think there's just no way your team's going to win. I mean, it looks like it's all over, and you know it, and, you know, and, you, you, and it's in, in times like that, you know, sometimes you're just sort of tempted to just, let's change the channel, I don't want to see this anymore, uh, but I will never forget Fiesta Bowl, right, 2007, I think it was, and uh, you know what I'm talking about, right, I mean, it was like 18 seconds left, uh, you know, the the Broncos were playing Oklahoma, and, you know, and they were behind. And Dransky had just thrown an interception, and it looked like it was all over. And I remember being so upset that I was just like, I'm done. I just – and I go into the bathroom. I go into the bathroom at the that the, the definitive play, the hook and ladder play, where they scored – that final touchdown tied the game and then, of course, shoved it into overtime. But it was like an amazing moment. Everybody remembers that if you're a Broncos fan, right? And um, But I think the most amazing thing to me about that was that it ain't over till it's over, okay? That's the first thing. And the other thing is you just can't give up, right? In the words of Winston Churchill, who said, never, 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 never give up, you know, or if you ever watched the movie Galaxy Quest, never give up, never surrender, okay, great theological moment, um, but the point being is that we can have that kind of attitude in Christ because we know he is the ultimate victor, we know that evil is does exist at times it seems to be getting the upper hand at times it seems to be incredibly incredibly resistant to forces of good and truth but in the end we know who wins don't we and so when we are engaged in warfare and there this is what this is all about by the way we are called into spiritual warfare it's a reality it's happening all around us. It always has been. It always will be until Jesus comes again and takes that rascal and throws him into the bottomless pit forever and ever and ever. Amen. But in the meantime, here we are. And how do we overcome the evil around us? How do we overcome the evil within us? See, that's the big problem is that a lot of times we, you know, we finally say, yes, we have discovered the problem. And it is I. My flesh, it is what's in me, you see, that is so deceitful and tricky and all of that. And, and so how do we overcome all of that to be victorious and to win the day, as it were, and, 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 uh, and to be more than conquerors, which is what we are told that we are. 
at a situation today which really speaks of the failure of the disciples. But even in the midst of the failure of the disciples, we find some great lessons on, on how not to fail uh, from Jesus Christ. So, the scene was that Peter, James, and John had the unforgettable experience of the transfiguration on the mountain where they saw Jesus' face shining like the sun, his clothes as white as could possibly be, and then they saw Elijah and Moses, and then they saw the cloud of glory and the Lord spoke to them saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased, hear him. And this was an amazing moment transformational Jesus said don't tell anybody until I'm resurrected and they come down the mountain from that place and let me just say that what happens next is I would say typical it's typical in that when you have these amazing moments with God these times of an epiphany you know where God manifests to you in some way and it's a spiritual high uh, it's just to be expected that the next thing that will happen will be some opposition. The devil hates it when we take ground spiritually, when we advance in our walk with the Lord. And he's going to try to do everything that he can to rob that from you. He's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy or he'll try to discourage you in some way. And so it's so often the case, you come down off the mountain and you hit trouble below. You encounter the enemy. And that's exactly what happened here with Jesus and his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, as they come down. And here is this scene. The other nine disciples, this, you know, were there and they had tried to cast out a demon from a boy and they had been unsuccessful and so Jesus coming from that amazing just time where God speaks to him and Elijah and Moses are encouraging him you know and and all of this glory the glory that that he will have when he comes again as 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 the Messiah to reign having that and then suddenly coming back down to his failing unbelieving disciples. It was a bad day for Simon Peter. Verse 14. When they come down the, to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now Mark gives us a lot more details here, and it's worth looking at. So if you've got your Bibles there, just take your finger in Matthew and go to Mark 9.17, which is uh, his account of the same thing. And... It says in Mark's gospel that the first people that Jesus encounters are the scribes who are disputing with the disciples. Probably they are critical because that was their typical thing and critical that 
the disciples weren't handling this situation the way they thought it should be handled. And so that's the first thing Jesus deals with, is the, these disputing scribes. And, and then the man comes out, the, the father, verse 17 of Mark 9. And he said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Imagine this situation. I mean, this would be tough. This poor dad. He loves his son. And there's a demon that's got a hold of his son that, that throws him into the fire, throws him into the water. And this has been going on, as we shall see, a long time since he, his was a child and now he's probably a youth and this father has been dealing with this wickedness in his own son and powerless to do anything about it and he comes to Jesus he's seeking Jesus Jesus isn't there he's up on the mountain so he goes to the disciples and they do nothing to deliver this son gospel, we're told that the boy was an epileptic, but the Greek word <clears throat> literally is moonstruck, <laughs> from which we get the word lunatic. And the belief was the, the lunacy, or mental illness as we would refer to it today, was in some way interrelated with the phases of the moon. You know, like the crazies come out on a full moon kind of a thing. And so... That's the word here that's used. The guy was out of his mind, basically. Uh, so, um, but there was a reason, and that was because of this demon, this unclean spirit that had possessed the boy. Now, from this, we understand that the devil exercises power over people and even over children. In this case, he had this demon had possessed this boy when he was a child. We need to understand something here than that there is more than what meets the eye. When we are dealing with behavior issues, okay, this was clearly behavior issues going on, but there were there was something else beyond just mental illness or physical behavior. There was an unclean spirit involved. And while we would not always say that, well, you know, label a kid as being demon-possessed or something, although it certainly does happen even today in certain parts of the world, but we would have to admit that there are children that we know of, maybe even in our own families, that have, have come under such great behavioral issues that seem to be uncontrollable, unmanageable. It doesn't matter what you do as a parent. It doesn't matter what kind of discipline you use. It doesn't matter how many lectures or reasoning or whatever that that, that child is not changing. It doesn't matter what you do. And I think that, you know, and so in our, in our 
current secular society, what so often happens is, you know, that person will get a label, they'll get some drugs, and, you know, it may help, it may not. But, but what is not always acknowledged is that there are spiritual forces at work. It may not be possession, but it certainly may be oppression, and it certainly may be influence. And it certainly could be a stronghold that the enemy has in that person. And this is going to happen to children. It can happen to adults. And until we understand what it is that we are dealing with, how can you ever hope to cure? Until you know what the source of the problem is, how can there ever be a cure? You have to know what the source of the problem is, and then you can start dealing with the cure, whatever that is. In this case... It was an unclean spirit involved. Okay? So that's the very first thing we need to understand. I I think so many times when it comes with really dealing with the heart of the problem, we fail to recognize that we are dealing with spiritual forces of darkness. Of course, Ephesians 6 tells us that. We don't wage war against flesh and blood, but against the powers and darkness of, of the heavenly realm. That's... That is where the ultimate battle lies. It's the same in a culture, in a government, in, in false religions, in all of it. We need to understand that behind it all is Satan and his demons and his, the powers of darkness with which we are struggling. And until we recognize that, the enemy is not people, the enemy is the devil. Amen? And until we really understand that and come to grips with it, we're going to find ourselves frustrated and not really making a whole lot of traction against evil because we need to go to the source. We need to understand who the source is. We need to understand that we're ultimately powerless personally against Satan, but we're greatly powerful in Christ. So this is what was going on in this struggle, this warfare that was happening, of which the disciples were failing in the midst of it, okay? So after all this, you know, Jesus says, verse 17, he says, Oh, faithless, faithless, and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. frustrated i don't know how you describe that okay it just says faithless and perverse generation now he he's he's looking beyond just the failure of his disciples here he's looking to the entire generation which he calls faithless that is unbelieving and and perverse understand that this is progressive You see, when you stop believing in God, when you stop believing in the truth of his word and the inherent truth, the the, the inherent truth of the word of God, and you start thinking, you know, you you don't need to listen to that. You can kind of go your own way or whatever. Well, that leads to perversion, which is just that, going away contrary to the righteousness of God. You start following the dictates of God. Of your own heart, but the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So you are relegating yourself to a perverse course if you do not believe in God and His Word. 
And that's what Jesus was frustrated about here. It's like, how long shall I be with you? Jesus knows he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to die. He has a limited amount of time. These 12 are the ones that he's entrusting the whole kit and caboodle to. And they're part of this faithless and perverse generation. And it's just like, how much longer am I going to be with you guys? How much longer until you understand? What's at stake here, he says. But he still has compassion because he says, bring to the father. He says, bring bring to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Now Mark gives us, again, more details. Let's take a look at Mark 9, 20. It says that, Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I I love the fact that Mark gives us all those details. Um, So from that, I'd like to point out four things. First, the man identified with his son. He said, have compassion on us and help us. See, he didn't just write his son off or just distance himself from his son. This, his son's problem was his problem. And if the Lord would help his son, he'd be helping him too, you know. And he identified his son in this situation. I, I love that. That's such the heart of a father. Second, the man's faith was weak. He said, if you can do anything, Jesus, and Jesus immediately replied, if you can believe. See, that's the issue here. All things are possible to him who believes. Now, this man's faith was weak. And probably it was weakened by the disciples. (laughs) Because he said, fix this guy, you know, heal him, deliver him from the demon. And they couldn't do anything. And so I'm sure that his, his faith meter was just like, you know, right, down to nothing by this point. But the man knew what to do. He, he cried out to Jesus to help him overcome his belief, unbelief. You know, I believe it, but, but help me, help me in my unbelief. You know, help me believe, basically. to ask God to help us with our unbelief? I don't think so. Why not? Well, number 
faith is a gift from God. We can't just muster it up ourselves. It comes from God. So if we if we find that we lack faith, we can go to God who gives generously. Yes, he even generously gives faith to those who ask. In fact, the mere fact that we come to God and say, God, I, I know that I don't have the faith that I should have. And we come to him, well, that's in and itself is an expression of faith. Because we're coming to God, and as it says in, in Hebrews 11, 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But because anyone who comes to him must believe first that he exists, that he's really there, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if you find that you lack faith and you go to God and say, God, I know you can give me faith. Help me have faith. That's an expression of faith, you see. You're trusting God to give you what you don't have. And so that was a good thing. This man did that. I think we can do the same thing. If you lack faith, don't deny it. Don't try to muster it up on your own. Just go to God and say, God, I need more faith. Increase my faith. And fourth, we see that Jesus here had authority over the demon. He simply just commanded the unclean spirit to come out and never enter the, the son again. And of course, the demon shrieked, convulsed the kid, and it looked like he was dead. And Jesus revived him, brought him up, and restored him. So, mission accomplished. Evil was overcome. Verse 19 through 17. And the disciples came to Jesus privately. And they said, why could we not cast it out? Can't blame them, right? I mean, they had done this before. Back in Matthew 10, Jesus sent out the 12 and he gave them power to cast out demons. And they had done it. They remember, they come back and they, they're, they're happy because even the demons are submitting to them. So, so this, they had done this before, but this time they couldn't do it and they didn't understand why. Look, we practiced the formula. What went wrong, you know? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So Jesus identifies the cause of their failure. It was unbelief. They didn't believe. You may have thought you did, but you didn't believe. It's not not the root of all spiritual failure, ultimately. Doesn't it always come down to our lack of faith, our lack of really trusting God and trusting in his word for the long haul? Because, by the way, it doesn't necessarily happen right away. Faith in God means sometimes being really patient, holding fast to his promise. 
But if you'll do that, I guarantee you, you will overcome. We overcome by faith. What is the victory that overcomes this world? Even our faith. You'll overcome everything that Satan can throw at you. The shield of faith, which quenches every fiery dart of the evil one. Everything quenches all the fiery darts of the evil one. And you fail because of your lack of faith. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so, and then he says, look, all you really need is a mustard seed. <laughs> like, you need this huge amount of mustard seed. It's a small seed. But, but the power within that seed that when it gets planted and it gets the right conditions, it's transformed for his glory. The point is, look, it's, it's not so much the size of your faith, it's just what you're applying your faith to. See, the faith is based in the mighty God. And in this case, the faith to cast the demon out of this boy was based in the mighty God and in the name of Jesus and in the power of the fact that the, the Satan ultimately has to give way, has to give ground when you hold fast to the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's the basis by which you take ground from the devil. But you have to believe that. You have to be absolutely assured of it because the devil will challenge it in any way that he can and he'll try to trip you up and he'll try to get you to doubt he'll try to discourage you and he'll do everything he can to keep you from challenging his strongholds he fights to defend them vehemently and you need to understand that if you're going to be successful in spiritual warfare so have all the answers here about how this works. I really don't. I mean, it's a pretty amazing promise Jesus gives that, you know, where he says, uh, you know, that you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I think that Jesus was trying to get the point across that you guys have not even scratched the surface yet of what is possible if you will believe, you see. You don't even have a clue yet of what is possible. And that makes me think, oh my. You know, what have I failed to accomplish because of my lack of faith? What more could I have accomplished? I, I, my fear is getting to the judgment seat of Christ and suddenly realizing all the things that we could have accomplished if we just would have believed. And I think that's what Jesus is sort of trying to get the point across here. You can do more than you realize. And you could have done this, guys, if you would have believed. Now, I can tell you from personal experience that every time... I have stepped out in faith on something where I felt the, the inkling, where I felt like the, 
the Lord was just saying, hey, do this. Challenging me in some way or just speaking to me a promise from his word and just giving me the faith to just exercise that. Claim it. Go for it. And usually it's just a little simple baby step that comes next. It's simply acting upon that inclination. I can tell you that every time that I have done that, God has blessed me. Most recently, it happened during the spring after we all been shut down with COVID and everybody's like, you know, just dying on the vine, right? And so... Um, we were at the encounter, our monthly prayer time, and and I just, as we were praying, I just saw gathering the people of the Lord in the valley together and just having a night of worship because we need it. We need to remember who's on the throne. We need to come together as a church and just believe that God is greater than all of this other stuff. And so I, I sort of pitched that to Ladinas, whom I was working with with Harvest Crusade on the prayer team there, and 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 it just got legs, and and the workers came out, and and we were able to get the venue, and we, it it was blessed, and we had way more people there, over a thousand people uh, that came out just to worship God, and it was so needed to lift up our spirits at this whole time that's been lasting now close to a year. Just to sort of, you know, get some breathing air and realize that, God, you're still in control. You're still on the throne. You're still good. You're going to get us through this stuff. You see? And I know that was the Lord. I don't take credit for it except that I listened to what he said and I acted on it in faith. And I can tell you that whenever you do that, God will be faithful. Why? Because his name is on the line. And his word is on the line. And when you act on his, on his word in faith, you know, he'll bless it. He always will. If you believe. You got to believe. If not, doubt. So Jesus said, you know, you do that and you can say to this mountain. Now, I, I think we have a mountain before us. We do. I mean, you... you that the Jews, after the Babylonian captivity, King Cyrus of Persia gave a decree they could all go back, return from Babylon, go to Jerusalem, and their mission was to rebuild the temple. And so they went back and they were excited. They, you know, built an altar, offered sacrifices, and then started working on the temple. And then they got hit, hit with great enemy resistance. They got hit so hard that they put the whole temple project on hold for the next 16 years. And after that, God raised up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and they began to speak to the people, to motivate them, to encourage them to get back to work, to finish the temple of God, and it was one of those prophecies, Zechariah 4, 6, where the Lord spoke to Zerubbabel, who was the governor, 
And, and he said, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. You see, the, the mountain before them at that point was this temple project. And they were discouraged because they had tried to do it and they hadn't been able to do it. And so God says, see that? See that great mountain? It's going to become a plain. And it won't be by human might. It won't be by human power. But it will be by my Holy Spirit. And you will bring forth the final capstone, the capstone of the temple, the last stone laid. And you will be shouting grace, grace to it, because you'll realize that I did it, you see. And that was the word of encouragement to those weary, discouraged souls. And sure enough, they did finish. They were encouraged. They finished the temple. And I say all that because, you know, we have a mountain before us. Getting this building built is, it's been a mountain. But it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen, and I'm excited for it to happen. And I look at you guys, you weary souls who for the last 10 years have been doing mobile church. Folks, it's not over. We're gonna, we are going to have a dedication service. We're going to be out there. We're going to be so weary of people. And that's going to be such a light, a lighthouse to that bedroom community of, that's going crazy with building right now. Do you know that Idaho is the most moved to state in the union right now? And God is setting us up to do a marvelous work. I know it. And you say, how do you know it? I know it by faith. And I think this passage in Zechariah, look, who are you, you mighty mountain? Listen, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Do you believe that? I believe it. Just you wait, you'll see. Because ultimately, but there will be opposition. There has been opposition. Through this whole past year, there's been all kinds of opposition going on. Not just with us, but in the whole world. But do you believe in the power of Jesus to overcome the evil? Amen? And do you realize, you know, let's not lose sight of what the battle is about. The easiest thing in the world is for us to not recognize what the battle is. We start thinking we are striving against flesh and blood as we forget. No, this is against the forces of darkness that are seeking to steal and kill and destroy, divide and conquer, and weaken, and keep people from going to heaven, and keep people from embracing Jesus Christ as Savior and Master. And we have to stop
said it. You at home, too bad. I can't hear you. So what happens next? Verse 22. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up and they were exceedingly sorrowful. This is now the second time Jesus is warning them. This is what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem, guys. You're going to, you're going to crucify me in the third day I will rise again they, did, they didn't hear it it's like every single time he starts telling them that he's going to die they become so exceedingly sorrowful that that's all they hear and they either they don't hear the fact that he's going to be raised on the third day or it's just hidden from them because they just sort of zone out When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Now, Matthew is the only gospel writer to give us this little vignette about this temple tax thing. And of course, they, they come to Peter, the, the tax collectors, and we can't understand why Matthew wrote this, because he was a tax collector in Capernaum. So no doubt this sort of caught his attention and he threw it in his gospel, right? But in this case, the tax collectors were Levites. This was the temple tax. It wasn't a tax paid to the Romans. It was for the service of the temple. And it was a half shekel, which was about, in those, it was about two days' wages, and you had to pay it annually. It was also the way that they could, the legal way that they could take a, sen- a census because they weren't supposed to mess with the, the, the people. But this was the way that they would do it. They would collect this half shekel from every male, and then they would know how many there were. And so, uh, so they come to Peter. Does your master, your teacher, does he? pay this and Peter says well yeah of course and so he comes to go find Jesus where Jesus is staying he walks into the door and Jesus just (laughs) says uh, what do you think Simon from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers so you know that had to been rather shocking to Peter how in the world did Jesus know I was going to talk to him about taxes But of course, Jesus knows everything. He's always there. I think that's a good thing for us to to remember from this is that he's always there. He knows. He never misses a single detail. He knows what's going on in your life all of the time. He's watching you. He's with you. He said, I'll be with you even until the end of the age. So we we come here and we worship the Lord and we say, oh, Lord, it's so good to be in your presence. And that's true because he's omnipresent, right? He's here with us today. But guess what? He was he was with you when you were getting ready this morning, staring in the mirror. When you were riding in the car, when you were arguing with your wife. 
when you were screaming at the kids. He was in, you, you were in his presence, you see. <laughs> He's always with us. And I think that it's good for us to remember that. I think, honestly, the more that we are conscious of the presence of the Lord with us at all times, the holier we will feel. Because we'll, we'll start thinking, do I really want to take Jesus into this conversation? <laughs> do I really want Jesus to sit here and watch this with me? Would Jesus really be happy about what I am saying right now? What I'm doing right now? Can I bring Jesus into it? You see, it makes a big difference when you realize that he's with us. He's always with us. He's always with us. There's nothing's going to catch him by surprise. And this is what Peter would have immediately realized, that Jesus knew all about what had just happened. And he, and he, and he asked him this question, well, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs from their sons or from their or from strangers and he says well from strangers and what he's saying is that look i'm the son of god i'm greater than the temple you know you peter you're an adopted son into the family we don't even really need to pay this temple tax because the kings collect their taxes from the subjects not their sons you see sea cast in a hook and take the fish that comes up first and when you have opened its mouth you will find a piece of money take that and give it to them for me and you <laughs> this is a creative way to pay your taxes right specifically really great to to uh to peter who's a fisherman look peter you get to go do something you love to do this time throw throw a hook out there you're gonna catch a fish be a coin it's sufficient for both of our taxes you pay it and you're done but notice here the reason that jesus did this he said i don't really need to do this you know i don't i should not have to pay this because i'm the son easily sort of skip over what's happening here. But there's a principle that Jesus is setting forth there. He says, look, I could claim my right here, but those people that are collecting the temple tax are not going to understand. And it will be an offense to them. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to give offense to them. It's not necessary. It's a principle that the Apostle Paul also practiced because he wrote to the Corinthians who had differing opinions about whether it was proper to purchase meat sold in the marketplace because a lot of the meat had first been offered to idols before it was butchered and then sold. 
And many people didn't have a problem with that because they said, look, it's just meat. God owns everything anyway. Those idols are nothing. It doesn't matter to me if it was offered or not. I'm just holding on to the meat. It's no problem. But other people, to know that that meat had been offered to an idol, they didn't want any part of it, and they didn't want to eat it. It would have gone against their conscience to do so. So you have, and both are believers. They're both in the church. They have strong opinions. But Paul laid down a rule, 1 Corinthians 10, 24. He said, so here's the thing. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That's the principle. Yeah, you might believe the way you believe about it, and nobody's going to take that away from you, but think about the other person. Look after their well-being. Don't seek to be an offense to them. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says the same thing. He goes on. He says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. Why? That they may be saved. Paul's saying here, listen, listen the most important thing here is not what we think about these issues in this life, not what I have the right to do, you know. The, the, the most important thing is the end game. And the end game is that we're going to the kingdom of God. And we want to take as many people with us as we possibly can. So if I, by denying myself some right that I have, some opinion, some conviction that I may have about something, if I can deny myself that and help somebody else get into heaven, then that's a good thing. And that's what he's saying here. So I personally, I personally, your pastor, I, I make an effort to give no offense as much as possible. It's not always possible. Listen, the, the cross is an offense. The cross is an offense against the pride of man. We can never remove that from us. But other than that, I try not to give an offense to people as much as possible, either to believers or to unbelievers, either to the political left or the political right, either to Mormons or Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses or gays or whomever, because not that I don't have strong convictions about all these things, but I want the issue to be, are you willing to turn your life and believe in Jesus Christ and accept his provision for your sins? I want that to be the only issue this evening. Why? Because I don't want to be the cause for somebody not coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of some trip about me, and I have plenty of them. 
I have plenty of things that could get in the way and hinder somebody from putting their faith in Jesus Christ. So as not to offend you, I say, I'll do my best um, to let some out that can even come to this show. Am I perfect in that? No. No. But I recognize the wisdom Jesus is saying here as let's remember that the main point here, the main thing on the heart of 